Christianity spoke again and said, I have always maintained that men were naturally backsliders, that human virtue tended of its own nature to rust or to rot. I have always said that human beings as such go wrong, especially happy human beings, especially proud and prosperous human beings. This eternal revolution, this suspicion sustained through centuries, you, being a vague modern, call the doctrine of progress. If you were a philosopher, you would call it, as I do, the doctrine of original sin. You may call it the cosmic advance as much as you like. I call it what it is, the fall. I have spoken of orthodoxy coming in like a sword. Here, I confess, it came in like a battle axe. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. Today we are talking about Orthodoxy, Chapter 7, The Eternal Revolution. Grace, good to see you. You too. What are you drinking today? (laughs) Or are you drinking anything today? (laughs) Yeah, right now I have a couple drops left of cold coffee from earlier. (laughs) We're recording in the late afternoon. Cheers to cold coffee. That's what I'm also drinking. I feel like cold coffee is probably the drink of choice of many moms. (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't think that was a real thing until... I had this baby and then (laughs) I seem to always be drinking my coffee cold now. Um, I had this idea to drink this really fun wine that I got Mm. at a local vineyard recently, but um, it's like two or it was two when we were supposed to start. And so I figured I might not start drinking that early, but happy Friday to everybody. Happy Friday. I wish you would start drinking that early. I know. Well, I'm ha- I'm having drinks tonight with some mom friends, oh, so good. I will uh I will raise a toast to GKC later tonight. Um <laughs> what have you been up to? We had Thanksgiving last week mm-hmm. and you're back at work this week. How's your week been going? It's been going pretty good. We have like just some things that we're wrapping up. I'm kind of in between some of the stuff that I'm in charge of wrapping up things um, for the semester. We have a pretty long um, Christmas break, or at least I don't, but the students do. Um, And so that kind of puts a stop to our programs for about a month, month and a half. Um, And so that gives me some time. It's it's really nice, actually, because I'm at work, but it gives me some time to kind of like process everything that's been happening for the semester plan for next semester just kind of get all my ducks in a row um so I'm grateful for that so we have our end of the year party tonight which is fun with the students so that's fantastic that will be really nice to have a break I'm really looking forward to the college Christmas break too because my sister is coming home again uh she came home at Thanksgiving last week and met Alexander and it is kind of a dream when you're close with your siblings to put your baby in their arms and just (laughs) they are as loving she especially is as loving towards him as I am and so I feel like I don't know they'll they'll have a very special relationship as he gets older but um I have been still plowing through Anna Karenina uh Mm. for my reading and I'm pretty sure I said that last time also but it's almost a thousand pages long, so I'm not going to feel bad about it. Um, <laughs> so I've been reading that, and I um, 
I've also been reading Orthodoxy and then um, I'm trying to get started on Baron and Luthien um, Mm. by Tolkien and I'm excited about that. Um, I got it from the library and I'm trying to use the checkout time as my motivation to (laughs) get it done in that time, but we'll see. Um, This is a ignorant Tolkien question, but um, isn't that part of the Silmarillion or is that different? I don't have the answer. <laughs> I, okay, from from what I... All I've read of Tolkien is um, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm, but from what David and I have talked about, I think that um, Baron and Luthien is available in various forms. Um, and I have, like, the most complete form hmm. that I checked out from the library, but I don't think it's part of the Silmarillion. Oh. I think it's pre. Uh, I'll let I'll let you know if I get an answer on that. <laughs> yeah, ask David. I'm um, sure he'll know. <laughs> yeah, but and then David and I at night have been reading um, A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, Did you fun. ever read that? No, book I haven't. I haven't. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's a short little um, like young adult fiction. Yeah. Um, it's so fun and it's very nostalgic for me to read it again because I read it several times as a kid and so it's really fun to introduce it to him and he's now enjoying it now that it's kind of like gotten into the juicier stuff (laughs) (laughs) anyway um have you been reading anything lately so I have not besides orthodoxy um but I am beginning to read the four loves with David and their podcast um so I I just kind of had like a, I guess, end of the liturgical year crisis and was like, I just really need to hit a reset button somewhere. And so Mm. I deleted all my social media and (laughs) I was like, okay, it's Advent now. Like I'm going to just like focus, like read more, listen to more podcasts again. Cause I, I used to listen to so many podcasts and then Mm -hmm. now that I don't have a commute, um, I just like got out of the habit of it um because yeah. that's when I would listen yeah. to them was in the car and so yeah um anyway so I've started to try to like okay instead of like waking up and looking at my social media apps I like wake up and like hit play on a podcast you know so awesome. um yeah so that's what I've been doing so I've been listening to their introduction episodes I'm about to start reading the four loves and then um yeah I just I've been listening a little bit to just like some you know Agatha Christie kind of stuff but uh I love it just like Poirot I love Poirot (laughs) so I love Poirot yeah and it's funny though because it's like I've watched all of the David Suchet like episodes and they're so good and like so faithful that it's like when I'm listening to the actual Agatha Christie stories I'm like wow this Mm -hmm. is like exactly like (laughs) the David Suchet episode so I kind of already know what's gonna happen but I still enjoy it so David Suchet is the only Poirot for me oh yeah and the one that I'm listening to is like him like narrating the Agatha oh my Christie. gosh that's yeah amazing. so it's like because I was like I can't listen to anybody else like I know his voice and it's David Suchet <laughs> so he's he's adorable I he I is. love him very much um that's awesome yeah uh great um well let's um dive in I okay. guess yeah so um this chapter when I first read the title of the chapter I don't know why but just the eternal revolution I was thinking in my mind like the revolutions of the spheres like 
like oh, planet like revolution yeah like turning and yeah. that's what i was expecting him to be talking about was like the turning of the world um which i guess kind of fits in with a little bit of the character of this chapter but um but what sure. he's talking about is like rebellion <laughs> like what he's talking yeah. about is like yeah. let's have Reform. a revolution like yeah. the french revolution you know or something yeah. like that but he's talking about how the revolution um that is inspired by christianity is ongoing and constant like there's always a moment of revolution or there's always a call to revolution um yes. and so in this chapter i think kind of the main theme is chesterton is analyzing these different ideas either of progressives people who call mm. themselves progressives um, and people who would call themselves conservatives. So people who think that we need to be constantly changing things like progressing, mm -hmm. like moving, or people who think that we need to be holding everything like kind of static as, as it has been like holding to tradition in a way that it doesn't change. Um, and Chesterton's mm -hmm. kind of arguing that there's problems with both of these, um, and that there's something different in the idea of true reform and revolution as Christianity has it. Um, but of course he's talking about, um, Christianity without really talking about Christianity. So like when he's first discovering these principles, he's coming up with them without a Christian worldview. Um, but right. just seeing the problem in progressivism and seeing the problem in conservatism, just like in and of itself. And then recognizing kind of surprisedly that Christianity kind of got there thousands of years before him. So <laughs> Yes, I love that. He has these uh, standards in his mind that he thinks are necessary for true progress in the world. And he finds on each of the three counts mm -hmm. that Christianity answers fully uh, as nothing else does. Mm. Wonderful. So do you think, do you want to talk about, um, I guess, what he sees wrong with progressivism and then what he sees wrong with conservatism? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, to start with, I guess, um, progress, um, he talks about how true progress would be, uh, basically consistently and slowly, uh, approaching justice and mercy, right? A, a world where justice and mercy kiss, I mm. think was the, the phrase in the book. And he talks about, um, that would be true progress if, if we were, you know, continuing to um, to reach that utopia of justice and mercy. Mm. Um, but the modern idea of progress says that um, our minds can change all the time, basically, about any number of issues. Mm. And that is the problem that he sees with progressivism, is that there's not a fixed standard and so we have nothing to judge these ideas by or hold them up to. Mm -hmm. um, and in his mind, before, as Grace just said, uh, there needs to be a fixed standard in order for us to determine what progress is actually being made. Um, so he talks a lot about basically people changing their minds all the time and changing, the, changing what the standard is mm. and then no progress actually being made. Yeah. 
it's like having a conversation and constantly moving the goalposts, so to speak. <laughs> like you can never get anywhere. You can never actually accomplish anything or establish anything um, if you keep changing the rules of the game um, or changing the guidelines or whatever. So it's commenting on this phenomenon of progressivism kind of seeing itself as like new and exciting and changing things and making things more, um, I don't know, free. Um, but he's arguing that the great paradox in that is that in being so progressive, like you actually allow everything to just keep staying the same because if you're constantly changing your mind about like what the ideal is, then there's actually Mm -hmm. no accomplishing of anything. And you just kind of maintain the status quo, even though the progressive is the one who's kind of railing against the status quo and saying the status quo is wrong. We need to change it. But because he keeps changing his mind like so rapidly, like nothing ever changes. And so I loved the quote um, in this chapter when he said it was actually Marx, Nietzsche, Tolstoy, Cunningham, Graham, Bernard Shaw, uh, Herbert, who between them with bowed gigantic backs bore up the throne of the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> we may say broadly that free thought is the best of all safeguards against freedom. Oh my gosh. Yes. So it's like you think that you're being so like rail against the establishment and you're actually just maintaining the establishment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's it's so funny because I think in every single age, like definitely today, as it was for him 100 years ago or whatever, over 100 mm. years ago, people still think this, that mm. they're discovering something for the first time or they're, they're upholding that one thing that needs to be upheld. But it's mm. like the if the backbone or the fixed standard is not there, if you know, the standard of virtue that we're like holding everything up against is not there, then it all just falls short or, or accomplishes nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you <laughs> Upholds just, the establishment. Yeah. Or you just change your mind five minutes later and are arguing against the thing that you were arguing for five minutes ago. Um, and so again, like nothing ever changes. Um, there was another quote too. I'm trying to think. Oh, he said, uh, Let's see. We have not any need to rebel against antiquity. We have to rebel against novelty. It is Mm. the new rulers, the capitalist or the editor, who really hold up the modern world. And then later he says, um, it will not be necessary for anyone to fight against the proposal of a censorship of the press. We do not need a censorship of the press. We have a censorship by the press. And that really reminded me of kind of today you see like we have this like cancel culture or whatever where like people will um, say like this is this is the right like thing to do but then like five minutes later they're like turning against that and saying like actually no that's also corrupt like that's wrong yeah so it's actually this yeah and then five minutes later it's like and it's like there's no um there's no fixed standard there's no um there's no ability to like sift through an idea and find like where is there common ground or where is there something that is that is consistent and then like these other things might be wrong but like let's keep the core of this thing um instead it's just like no throw it all out cancel it like get rid of it you know and like move on to something totally and completely divorced from the thing before and it just ends up creating chaos there's no there's no actual like reform there's not a better society there's a society that's much more confused than it was even before 
it's very inconsistent and Mm -hmm. confusing um a an organization which i shall not name but that i used to love a lot basically um it was a cooking like i i love to cook and i took all my recipes from this organization basically and learned how to cook a lot of things Mm -hmm. they basically um ate each other alive and destroyed everything by accusing all of their staff simultaneously of racism it was like gosh you know the the uh, basically every white person in this organization was accused of being racist and to some extent maybe because they got paid more than a person of color or whatever and like slowly but surely many people either quit or were fired and now it's kind of it's not as good as it used to be because it used i mean from an outside standpoint um people were being hired based on their ability to cook and be creative Mm -hmm. with cooking and to present it well Mm -hmm. and so the recipes were really good and i learned so much it was very entertaining i loved it Mm -hmm. and from all of them like from the variety of people who did it yeah and now it's clear that the only criteria that they are using for hiring new people on is that they're going to appear not racist so people aren't necessarily good cooks anymore yeah and it's it's kind of funny they only see color now instead of like evaluating people and like what what they can bring to a company based on their actual skill set yeah and it's like you can you know it's like okay well there's obviously something the matter with racism so let's have a conversation about that you know what I mean and it's like let's let's find this like problem and like get to the problem but instead of doing that it's like we're just gonna blanket cancel everything you know and like just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and like try to move on to something better but the problem is there's not ever anything better and I think this is kind of what Chesterton is getting at when he starts to talk about like even conservatism too, because Mm -hmm. he says that the conservative on the other hand wants to hold everything exactly the same, like, um, Mm -hmm. or like conserve what has been before thinking that if we can just keep everything the way that it is, then it like will be good. But the natural tendency of the human race (laughs) is to be corrupted when left alone, you know? Um, and so he's like, we like, nobody's gonna be perfect like nobody's gonna be better than the last like no society is gonna be like um somehow incapable of being corrupted and so he said uh once in this chapter we need watchfulness even in utopia lest we fall from utopia as we fell from Mm -hmm. eden um that there's a problem but the problem is not just like oh we need a better idea it's like it's us. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's like the quote we read at the beginning of this um, podcast is like, it's original sin. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. this is the problem. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're conservative or progressive, like original sin's going to get yes. you. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know? And doing nothing is never the answer. Like yeah. we were not, although we like to be complacent sometimes and, and maybe stay comfortable where we are. Mm. We can't because even if even if we do nothing, doing nothing is making us worse, which mm-hmm. is change. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, but it's change for the worse, which mm-hmm. we definitely don't want. And yeah, Jesus so like, always, Jesus doesn't want a lukewarm church. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want um, followers who are kind of just desperate to hang on to something comfortable. He tells us that we're going to be uncomfortable, that we're going to carry our cross, mm-hmm. um, like as he did. Um, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he talks we, about, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say he defines these different terms of um, like progress and evolution and reform. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's saying like if you leave things alone, like there's, there's some people have this theory of evolution where like, you know, oh, things are going to change. But they assume that that means change for the better. And Chesterton is arguing like it may not be better or worse. It may just be mm. different. You know, like nature doesn't mm. necessarily have like morals. Like nature just yeah. changes, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And he's like, so it's like this automatic unrolling, but it can tend towards corruption in certain ways, especially with with human beings. If we just sit here and do nothing mm. like we tend towards corruption. Um, progress, he said, um, is just like walking forward along a road. So like progressives, the way that they talk about progress, it's like, oh, we're just going forward, like press forward, press forward, press forward. And it's like, well, yeah. that's great unless you're on the wrong road. <laughs> you know, yes. like that's great unless you're walking down like the, you know, towards the edge of a cliff, you know, as he says, or like, yeah, um, you're, you're not going towards something that's actually good, but you're going forward towards something yes. that's actually bad bad or worse or you know yeah and so the road to hell man <laughs> yeah and so it's he like, <laughs> yeah doesn't lewis say that like in the screen yeah. letters yeah the, it's like you're not noticing any change the road to hell is like wide and softly sloped and mm. you know and and yeah if you're if you continue down that road you're gonna end up maybe not where you want to go mm. so then he talks about in like contrast to those two ideas he talks about reform and he's like it means literally reform so like there is a Mm. form there's a fixed rule there's a image there's a vision there's like something that we're actually trying to be or something that we're actually trying to go toward that is good and we have to continually work at it but we have to work as like an artist works to paint a portrait of someone who's sitting before him he's like constantly analyzing does my picture look like the person or does it not yes and he says uh yeah um he says we must be fond of this world in order to change it and we have to be fond of another world in order to have something to change it too mm-hmm. so we have to know what that form is in order to make a change to um, improve something we can't just it is chaos we can't just you know what we personally think in our minds might make something better that isn't good enough Lots of people have lots of different ideas about things, but it's Mm -hmm. that form that allows us to actually make heaven like or make earth like heaven, I should say. Mm. Yeah. Um, And I love to. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I was just going to say I loved the example that he gave of kind of like the nonsensical thought process of like a lot of modern thinkers when he talks about the cat and the mouse. Oh, yeah. I love that. uh, (laughs) Yeah. He says that um, like basically 
if the if the mouse was a um, German pessimist mouse, he might not think that the cat had beaten him at all. He might think that he had beaten the cat by getting to the grave first, or he might have he might feel that he had actually inflicted frightful punishment on the cat by keeping him alive. It's just like all of this kind of like we look at that and we say, no, that's nonsense. Like the cat is the predator, the mm. mouse is the prey. In the natural order of things, that's how it is. Um, and nature isn't crazy the way that we are sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I laughed at that. The German pessimist mouse. <laughs> yeah. um, I loved He continues on just after that talking about uh, Nietzsche, who I think he's making a lot of reference to. Um but he talks about how people will just like make these metaphors and like call it profound, like, but it actually means yeah. nothing. And like, so they're not really saying anything. Yeah. Even it sounds like they're saying something. Yeah. And so he's saying, um, uh, let's see. This incident, incidentally, is almost the whole weakness of Nietzsche, whom some are representing as a bold and strong thinker. Nietzsche always escaped a question by a physical metaphor, like a cheery minor poet. He said, beyond good and evil. <laughs> Because he had not the courage to say more good than good and evil or more evil than good and evil. He had faced, yeah. had he faced his thought without metaphors, he would have seen that it was nonsense. And then later he says, mm -hmm. he does not know it in the least what sort of man he wants evolution to produce. So he's like making all these claims about how like, you know, we need to evolve or we need like this what is mm. it like the ubermensch or whatever like like the yeah. the overman or the whatever nietzsche yes. says but it's like what even does that mean like what is the form of that like what is that even like you know yeah it's just like there's not this this actual clarity um he's not challenged to actually define concretely yes. what he's talking about <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's like all of these thinkers shy away from saying anything definitive. Mm -hmm. I think because people are afraid of being wrong. And it's like, because yeah. it's like if you if you take a definitive stance about something, mm -hmm. you know, you can be opposed. But yeah. the problem with not taking a definitive stance or, or not defining something is that you're, you're still wrong because you're not <laughs> saying anything or you're yeah. not saying something truthfully or as exactly as you could be mm -hmm. yeah and it's not to say that somebody like Nietzsche doesn't have some good ideas you know it's just like okay if you're gonna then sum it all up and say what we need to do about it like you got to be a little bit more concrete than that you know yes so, yes um yeah let's see oh I loved his I his image of like uh, he tries to kind of illustrate what he means by having a form that you're trying to um, get to. And he's talking about how even if you fail, your failure can be good because it can mm. point you in a more accurate direction. Um, but yes. he's like, but if your form doesn't exist or your form keeps changing, then your failures are true failures where there's nothing good yes. that you can actually take out of it. And so he he paints this image of like this man who wants the world to be blue. Do you remember this? Yes. And yeah, I laughed really cows. hard. Yeah, I laughed really yeah. hard because all I could think of was that song Blue where he's like, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yo, listen yes. up. Here's a story. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, Chesterton. Who knew? Eiffel 65 so was inspired by Chesterton. Not really, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. 
he also gives the example that we already kind of touched on about the painter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how, um, what, you know, well, two things. That the painter, if each time that he looks around his, um, his canvas to look, as you said, to look at his subject and make sure that what he's creating on the canvas is what is in front of him or he's Mm. portraying it as closely as he can but every time he looks around it's a new subject Mm. Mm -hmm. then there's no form he can't he can't paint one person if 20 different people are switching and sitting in front of him Mm. Mm -hmm. um he also says that uh as you said with failure um if he is trying to paint one person and he fails 20 times that what he should do is throw away the 20 paintings and try again to paint that person and use those failures as practice to mm-hmm. actually get to what he needs to get to rather than throwing away the person right. and saying, well, you're just too difficult to paint. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think that is what he's finding in Christianity is that, um, and, and this is like the famous quote that everybody quotes is uh christianity has not been found what it, oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah what is it you oh, know gosh. what i'm talking about yes wait christianity has not been found no has not been tried and found wanting. Tried, found wanting it's been found difficult and left untried yes exactly yeah and i think that's what he's getting at is that um if we just throw away the form which is is virtue found in christianity the basis found in christianity then we end up throwing people out rather than mm. rather than just seeing um, where we fall short, our faults, and that we need to continue to strive towards something. We actually know mm. what to strive for if we have this fixed standard. Mm. Yeah, he he says that the reason why we keep changing our standard is because it's easier. You know, yes. it's easier to change the standard than to say, oh, hey, we failed 25 times and so now we need to get up and try again. You know, it's it's really hard to keep kind of like you, you need like courage to like keep mm-hmm. moving forward even when you keep failing and you need eyes to be able to see um, progress even in your failure. Um, yes. otherwise you just freak out and you say like, well, forget that. Like, we're just going to scrap the whole thing, you know? And I think yeah. honestly, like back to the whole idea of our current cancel culture, I think that that is exactly what it is. It's hard. It's harder for us to have hard conversations with people. It's harder for mm. us to really try to find common ground with people that we really disagree with on a lot of levels or like, admit that we're wrong. Yeah. And, and to actually be challenged in the way that we're acting and thinking and mm. that kind of stuff. It's like, it's a lot mm. easier for us to keep moving the goalposts. Um, yes. and so that's what we do, <laughs> you know, and it gets us nowhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, just on a yeah and and this is why like confession is so helpful because Mm -hmm. um and and whether you're listening and you're catholic or you're listening and you're christian of another denomination like christ tells us to confess our sins and whether that be for you in your life that you're literally confessing to the people that you need to rectify things with or whatever or if you're going to confession as uh, the sacrament in the catholic church however you're confessing it's um bringing into your sight your faults 
and how you failed. And it's really, really hard to go Mm -hmm. to confession for the 25th time or Mm -hmm. the 500th time and say, I'm still failing at this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really hard to look at yourself and say, um, this is the problems with me. I need to do, I need to keep trying. I need to do something different. The temptation is to say, it's not that big of a deal. I'm doing mm-hmm. fine. I'm fine as a person. I don't really <laughs> want to think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like moving that goalpost. It's like, well, if I've struggled with something for five or 10 years or my whole life or whatever, maybe it's not that big of a deal. No, mm-hmm. like that's not what God wants us to say. He wants us to uphold that standard that he gave us and and continue striving for it even though it's so hard and it's so difficult to to continue trying yeah he he kind of talks about that like you're talking about it in the nature of like one individual person's life like saying oh I've struggled with this for 15 20 years you know whatever but Chesterton talks about that in this chapter like in terms of history as well he's like you know even if even if something um what is it? He talks about like uh, if like polygamy was wrong. It wasn't polygamy. It was something else. No, no. Species. You know uh, what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, oh, my gosh. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, I'm to look oh, he, well, he talks about slavery and he talks mm-hmm. about. Um, oh, where is it? Basically, like <laughs> something that somewhere. Yeah. If something is wrong in in one age, it's wrong. Yes. Here we go. I got it. Um, Okay. Man may have had concubines as long as cows have had horns. Still, they are not part of him if they are sinful. Men may have been under oppression ever since fish were underwater. Still, Mm. they ought not to be if oppression is sinful. Um, So he's basically saying, like, time doesn't matter. Like, it's not, like now or later or like at one time or another time like it's if something is wrong it's wrong um and that's always going to affect us the same so you know in terms of kind of pressing forward and this Mm -hmm. having this eternal revolution like this rebellion is really against sin you know it's against like the corruption of human nature and it's like how do we get back to this perfection that god has created us for you know and um and we discover you know really the the depth of the fall when we kind of Mm. see all of history and we see how far we actually have fallen from the ideal and how long it's taken for us to kind of get closer even if you just look at like you know salvation history in the old testament like leading up to christ it's like Mm -hmm. god had to take us by the hand and like baby step us you know he didn't give us like the idea of the fullness of love all at once because we literally couldn't handle it you know (laughs) it's like that in our own personal spiritual lives too it's like you start going to confession for some some kind of big obvious things you know and then it's like if you make progress in the big obvious things then you start to notice all these other little things (laughs) and you're like oh like I can actually love better than how I was loving then you know and um there actually is like this form that you are being made into um 
and you start to recognize it more and it kind of comes into focus more and yeah um, but it takes you know it could take a really really long time to see that or to like recognize that progress especially if you're not looking for it yeah and it's gradually revealed Uh, Mm -hmm. except it is and it isn't it's the person of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so, the, like, so the fullness of revelation. He is the form that we're being held up to. Mm. And then, but we fall so short that it, it can be exhausting or scary almost mm. to try to hold ourselves up to that that standard. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that he talks about too with um, like morality not being different from age to age like, you know mm-hmm. how people will say like, oh, well, that's the current morality, but, you know, 500 years ago is different or whatever. And right. Chesterton's like, well, then why couldn't we say that like 500 years in the future, it's going to be different and I'm going to skip ahead to that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, like, like, can I get on the road <laughs> to that? Yeah. Um, there's no, there's, if there's no fixed standard, like it's all meaningless, you know? This is like the example that he gave earlier in the book when he talks about, um, the beauty of women in different generations or mm. different centuries. He says in some centuries, it might be fashionable for mm. a woman to be full figured and curvy and whatever. And in some, it might be that she's thin, but it's never the standard that she should be ugly. It's always that she should be elegant, but mm. that, you know, what elegance looks like might shift. Yeah. But the fact that women are elegant and beautiful does not change. Um, and I, I think he's kind of coming back to that idea in this chapter of like from from age to age, it's r- what like you said, what is wrong is wrong. What's mm. sinful is sinful. And it doesn't matter that we have phones now. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't matter that like we feel like, oh, it's so different now because um, we have all of this technology and progress that people didn't have even a hundred years ago but people are people are people and you know what's wrong is has always been wrong it's just the application of how we respond to things is maybe a little different like we have to think about things maybe slightly differently but at the core of it we're being called to the same standard as like christians two thousand years ago Mm. yeah one of the um one of the things near the end of the chapter that I found very convicting was his discussion about um, adventure and romance, like the adventure and romance of a vow. Um, And I think it goes along with this idea of a fixed uh, standard or a fixed vision or form. It's in some sense scarier to have a fixed vision or a fixed form because you see how you fall short of it. Um, it's easier to kind of have a changing standard so that you don't quote unquote lose. Um, but it's no fun and it's not romantic and it's not adventurous and ultimately it's stale, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring vigor. Um, but he's like, you know, you can, you know, take away this or take away that, but don't take away my ability to bind myself, you know, to like actually yeah. make this vow because he sees the value in it. He sees that it actually brings out this great romance. He's like, yes. if you, um, what does he say? Something about a, like a curse. Uh, oh, if I vow to be faithful, I must be cursed when I am unfaithful yeah. or there is no fun in vowing. Right. And it, he's, 
if I'm if I bet, I must be made to pay, or there is no poetry in betting. If I challenge, I must be made to fight, or there is no poetry in challenging. And then he goes on about if mm-hmm. I vow to be faithful. Yeah, it, it's um, it doesn't mean anything if you're not risking anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it, if something can't be lost did you ever really have it in the first place yeah yeah I I just think again like we have to get past the like scariness of that (laughs) to see that it's actually more desirable um than just kind of the bland like oh yeah everything's fine you know or yeah whatever because it's like it's not we have nothing if we if we don't have that risk yeah agreed mm-hmm. there's one one more quote that I wanted to mention yeah um, not that this has to be the last thing but um, he talks about uh, uh, for me it's in my edition the Craig Kibler edition it's on page 169 um, he says uh And here again, my contemplation was cloven by the ancient voice that said, I could have told you all this a long time ago. If there is any certain progress, it can only be my kind of progress. Mm. The progress toward a complete city of virtues and dominations where righteousness and peace contrive to kiss each other. An impersonal force might be leading you to a wilderness of perfect flatness or a peak of perfect height, but only a personal God can possibly be leading you if if indeed you are being led to a city with just streets and architectural proportions, a city in which each of you can contribute exactly the right amount of your mm. own color to the many-colored coat of Joseph. I loved that mm-hmm. so much because, I mean, even as Christians, we have to be specific to say that we're not just living by what we think is basic morality. We're living by God's morality. Mm. Like we're we're living by God's law and only he can lead us to goodness because he is goodness in himself mm. itself. Um and there's there's an element of like, you know, natural law to it, but because of the corruption that we experience we don't naturally find it so it's this precarious balance that has to be like we have to be led we have to be like taught to like this is the vision you know um so related to what you just read i liked um this quote he said the perfect happiness of men on earth if it ever comes will not be a flat and solid thing like the satisfaction of animals it will be an exact and perilous balance like that of a desperate Mm. romance Man must have just enough faith in himself to have adventures and just enough doubt of himself to enjoy them. So Mm. I think another main theme of this chapter is him talking about how it's not like all of one thing or all of another thing, but a very precarious balance between the two, like justice Mm. and, and peace, you know, talking about justice and peace shall kiss. Like last chapter, he was talking about like the lion lying down with the lamb, like the lion doesn't Mm. become the lamb, like the two of them (laughs) exist together, you know, and it's, but it's a precarious balance of how they fit together. And it's something that's far more specific than something that just kind of naturally happens. It's like God has yes. to has to teach us what that is, what that looks yes. like. Um, in the paragraph directly following what I read, he says that three things he 
felt needed for progress to be real and for progress to be successful. Um, And he says, at first I had said the ideal must be fixed. And the church had answered, mine is literally fixed for it existed before anything else because Mm -hmm. it's established by God, right? And Mm so he's existed for all time. Uh, And I said, secondly, it must be artistically combined like a picture. And the church answered, mine is quite literally a picture for I know who painted it. Mm. Um, And I love that because going to what you just said, um, we know who has created natural law. We know who's created nature and Mm. us and it's God. Um, So I don't know. It's kind of I'm I'm not a philosopher, so don't debate me if you are (laughs) one. But I think that. It's kind of funny when I, especially when I was more so in the academic world um, in college, like I'd, you know, hear people talking about natural law and, and I agree, I, or I believe in natural law, but I also believe that God created, <laughs> created natural law in creating this world and creating mm-hmm. nature. Um, and, and so it ha- didn't have to be the way that he created it. He could have created it a different way. But yet this yes. is the way he created it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so it's like even people who aren't Christian by saying that they're following natural law are actually still, to, at least to some extent, following God's law. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I love that image too. I love that it has to be artistic for him. And um it's quite literally a picture for I know who painted it. <laughs> so good. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to cover in this chapter? I'm trying to think. There's so many things that we could talk about. Um, I guess one last thing. He was kind of giving us some some paradoxes, as is his wont, um, of how like heaviness is actually weakness and he there's the famous quote in this chapter about how like angels can fly because they take themselves lightly yeah um and it was kind of cool to to find that in context because i've heard that quote a lot um but yeah it's fun to read it in the actual work yeah you think that if you take yourself very seriously then you'll be very serious but actually it's the opposite and he kind of gives (laughs) an example of like the english aristocracy or whatever and he's like the great and obvious merit of the english aristocracy is that nobody could possibly take it seriously (laughs) i thought that was really funny um but it's so true i mean you see like people just kind of making fun of themselves even within that but um yeah just this this idea that we have to have like a seriousness about the reality of the world and of our condition and everything, but yet have this like levity, um, like to not take ourselves so seriously to recognize that like, ultimately we're not the ones that are in control, you know, that like, um, that we are silly (laughs) in a lot of ways, you know, and we can kind of laugh about that. And, um, I, I liked the way that he was talking about, nature and say and arguing that like nature is not our mother um but our sister and like our little sister our little dancing sister to be laughed at as well as loved I thought that was so good that yeah and that's so Franciscan he mentions Francis and he loved Francis he wrote the book on Francis that maybe we'll read one day um yeah but uh yeah just like that we we have to 
take it seriously, you know, nature, yeah. but at the same time, we don't have to take it that seriously. There's, there's yeah. one who is greater than the nature around us. Who is yes. the creator of it, you know? And, um, I just, I, I liked that. Mm. I thought that was such a helpful, um, image for me, mm. um, that he says, you know, people treat, uh, nature like she's our mother calling mm -hmm. her mother nature and honestly a lot of people worship nature mm -hmm. and always have mm -hmm. um but it it was very helpful for me like a mother has authority over her children right mm -hmm. and he says mm -hmm. she's like a sister because she has the same father as us the same mm -hmm. creator um and it and it's so it's not um demeaning nature at all yeah or, not or at all yeah to recognize the its proper place um as a beloved sister mm -hmm. um whose father is god um and I, yeah i love that line about um laughing at her and loving her mm. simultaneously mm. wonderful yeah i think that's well, all i have okay we're gonna get into romance next time uh the romance of orthodoxy next chapter Exciting. and we only have two chapters left to go ah! <laughs> so, so uh yeah we'll be finishing in like what do you think like two months <laughs> two yeah two two to three months just yeah. uh no um hopefully faster i don't know uh life is crazy y'all um <laughs> but uh one quick thing before we do our podcast wrap up um i'm hosting a tea party for Yay! pints with jack and uh, if you haven't heard Pints with Jack, it's my husband's podcast, and it is a C.S. Lewis podcast that is fantastic. They're going through the four loves right now, as Grace mentioned earlier. And they're about five um, times more on the ball than we are about podcasting. It, <laughs> their podcast is like real professional. Okay? Oh, my gosh. They come out with new episodes. Like, I don't even know, like, where they find the, like, time and energy and focus to, like, do I don't either. Episodes. And I live with <laughs> one of them. Okay. Um, they're fantastic. Honestly, they they do a really good job. But um, they're working through the four loves right now. Um, but if you become a patron um, over at Patreon for Pints with Jack, you will be invited to this tea party that I'm hosting. And if you become a patron and you RSVP for the um, party by the 16th of this month, December 16th, you are going to get something special delivered to your house. So um, that is my thing. And we're extending it to all patrons for them. So I think the lowest level is like $2 or something. So if you <laughs> want to give $2 and support the awesome work that they're doing, um, we would love to have you and meet you at this Christmas tea party. So that's my plug for that. Um, and yeah, you can find um, me behind the Instagram account mostly at, <laughs> at Pints with Chesterton because I kind of treat it like my, it's my personal Instagram and the Pines with Chesterton Instagram at the same time, basically. Um, and I always get nervous whenever it, I see that Pints with Chesterton has liked my photos on my personal Instagram because <laughs> I'm like, people are going to think that I'm liking my own photos. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably say that more. It's Marie behind the Pints with Chesterton um, on Instagram. And then uh, our email is pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. Our website is pintswithchesterton.com. And we love we love to hear from you. Um, I've gotten a lot of really nice messages this week 
saying that we were in your top podcast for Spotify, which is so flattering since I know. we have it. Pop- we feel like we haven't performed, <laughs> but um, we love we love doing it, and we hope we get to do this for a long time. So it's exciting to be approaching the end of Orthodoxy. So for sure, for sure. All right. Well, may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.